Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Just up up the road a little ways, if you get on 79 and go north, when you get to Fairmont, there is a church that sits right off the interstate, Trinity. Some of you are aware of it. Great church, great people. They've got a great location. If you've ever gone to that church, you get off the exit, at least the first time you go to that church, you think you're going to turn one direction, and it just makes sense that because the church is on one side of the road, when I get off the exit, naturally, I would turn that way because I want to go that way. But some of you are nodding because you've been to that church and you did what I did. You think I'm gonna turn that way because I wanna go over there. No, no, no. If you wanna go over there, what you need to do is actually go over there. You gotta turn the opposite way and then wind your way around back roads and cross back over the, the interstate. And that's how you get where you want to go, not by going how you think, actually by going the opposite direction of how you think because only a few of you could identify with that analogy. I came prepared with a second one. They're looking around. I feel like this one's gonna fit this crowd a little bit better. Have you ever used one of those Chinese finger traps? Okay, now we got the crowd. All right, you just gotta kind of find who you're dealing with here. Those Chinese, Chinese finger traps, it's like a little shoot of tube of woven together bamboo, right? And you put your fingers in it, and it's like a, a puzzle. It's a, a game, or it's a, just a way to trap people's fingers. I, I don't know, but you put, your, you put your fingers in there, and when you go to pull your fingers out, which makes sense if I, if I want to get my fingers out, you, I pull them out, but you find that your fingers are trapped, and the harder you pull causes, causes that thing to, to cinch down even tighter, and the more I try to go one direction, I'm actually making the situation worse, and it's counterintuitive because if I, I, I want my fingers out, I don't try to pull them out. I actually push them together, and it, and it causes it to kind of open up, and your, your fingers are released, so you've got to do, to get what you want, you actually have to do the opposite of what you think you, you need to do. Now, when you came to church this morning, what you were hoping to receive, what you wanted, probably wasn't directions to, to a different church than the one that you actually did come to. Uh, you probably weren't hoping to get instruction on how to be released from, I don't see very many people stuck in Chinese finger traps, so that probably wasn't what you were after. I hope he explains to me how to get out of this thing this morning. But something that you do want, and what we all want and have in common, is that we all have a desire for our lives to be meaningful and to find fulfillment and that your life would be significant and would would cause impact. What you don't want is that your life would be a waste, that you threw away however many years that you have. You want your life to be full of joy and full of peace and that there's satisfaction from knowing I did what God created me to do. My life meant something because I carried out the plans that God had for me when he was forming me in my mother's womb. So we have that in common. We all have desires along those lines. The question is, how do we get there? Even though we all have a common destination, we all want some similar things, just how do we go about successfully navigating there? Because sometimes, sometimes where you think you, you want to go, you've got to go the opposite direction to get there. 
And the name of the series, obviously just cutting right to the chase, you can see where we're heading, in the kingdom of God, if you want to live, if you want to live, you don't cling to life, you don't go after life, you actually embrace being a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, that you lay your life down, Jesus said, and that's the way in the kingdom that you find life. In the kingdom of God, so often things, things work opposite of the way they work in the natural and the way that your mind and culture will tell you how to gain success. That if you want to receive, you know what you need to do? You need to give. If you want to be exalted, you know what you need to do? You, you, to go up, I need to go down. To be refreshed, you know what I need to do? I need to refresh, not, not me, I need to refresh uh, uh, other people. So it's just a way in the kingdom, the, the way you think you get someplace, actually you need, to go, you need to go the opposite direction. That if I want to know abundant life, if I want to know all that God has for me, then what I need to do is be willing to die to myself, to deny myself, and that's the way I go about experiencing this wonderful abundant life that God has for, for every one of us. Now, we are a church that believes in blessings, we believe in the goodness of God. We believe in prosperity. We believe that God is a rewarder. Amen? Yeah. And we're not, I'm not saying that because that's the brand of church we are, or that's just, that's the kind of Christians we are. We believe those things because that's what we find in the word of God. Yeah. That's what God's word has to say about who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. The Bible says God delights. He delights. Other people might not delight. Religious people don't delight. God delights in the prosperity of his servants. God wants to bless you. He is a rewarder. It's part of his nature. He rewards people that seek after them. And God understands blessing. He doesn't have some twisted, weird view of blessing that actually hardship and misery is spiritually. That's what we would consider blessing. People talk like that, but when you read God, God's word, you find he understands what you would feel is a blessing in your life, and he understands what you would sense this is a negative thing in my, in my life. Read Deuteronomy chapter 28 alone. In that one chapter, you see very clearly God understands when your finances are good, when your family's good, when work is going well, when you're experiencing success, when, when your health is good, your relationships are good, that is a blessing. It's a blessing, amen? It's a blessing when all of that is going on. And when family isn't going well, when finances are tight, when work isn't going well, you aren't succeeding in areas, God understands that that is, that is a curse. He understands how to bless people and how to bless them well. The problem in the church sometimes is that people will gravitate to one or the other. That people will think, hey, we're, we're blessing people, we're prosperity people, and they, they can get... They can get a little twisted around and off track and even get into the flesh because it's just about blessing. It's just about, it's just about experiencing what I want to experience and the goodness and the prosperity and all of that. People will fall into that category or they'll fall into that category and neglect this one or they'll, they'll fall into the, hey, we die to ourselves. We embrace suffering and struggle and they neglect the blessing of God. And life just becomes serving the Lord. It's just a misery and a drudgery and it's just hardship after hardship and hopefully we can crawl our way into heaven somewhere, somewhere down the line. That it's just one or the other and they fail to see that it's not one without the other. That dying to ourselves and, and denying ourselves is actually the way that we step in to the goodness and the abundance of God. And so in this series, we're, we're going to be talking about dying to ourselves and how important that is. And that it's, it's not just some isolated thing that, that, 
the Bible makes reference to that it is a key kingdom principle. It's a key aspect of the gospel. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 16. Everyone's favorite topic, dying to yourself. Matthew chapter 16, we'll start reading in verse 21. It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. It says, from now on, if we would back up and read a few verses before this, it's when the disciples identify that Jesus is the Messiah. Who do men say that I am? They, they film, who do you say that I am? You're, you're, you're the Messiah. So that's the verses that precede this. And once they identify Jesus as the Messiah, that's where we're picking it up. From then on, Jesus began to tell his, tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law, that he would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now, we'll keep reading here in just a moment. But what is, what is Jesus kind of summing up in what he's warning the disciples is going to happen when they get to Jerusalem? We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. They're going to kill me. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. What, what is that? He's, he's basically summing up the gospel, right? That, that is a, a, a central, core, foundational aspect of the gospel message. That Jesus came. He suffered on our behalf. They killed him. He died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Every, everyone on the same page, right? That, that, is, that is, is essentially the gospel message just kind of wrapped up really quick. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Now, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the good news, is it, is it powerful? Is the, is the gospel a message? of power. Yes, absolutely it is. The gospel is a message, good news about the power of God that he's used on your behalf and on my behalf because of what Jesus did, what he sums up, his death and resurrection because of what he went through, that he broke the power of death, hell, and the grave, that Jesus is victorious. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, for this reason he came. He came for what reason? That he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 talks about that through his death by dying, he could destroy the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil that Jesus came and his death released power and he was able to destroy who? He destroyed the devil. So now we can walk in freedom. We can walk in health. We can walk in life. We can walk in victory, that we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers, not, not, not on our own accord, because of the power of, of God operating in our lives and through our lives. So when Jesus talks about the gospel, his death and resurrection, he's talking about a powerful a powerful ushering in of the kingdom of God. But it's not just talking about power. What's he also talking about? He's talking about sacrifice. Because as he talks about this, the gospel message, power overcoming, how do we get there? How, do we, how are we able to talk about the power of God? From that, this day on, we're heading to Jerusalem. And when I get there, I'm going to suffer. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Next verse, verse 22. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. As Jesus is telling his disciples, okay, guys, here's the plan. Here's what's going to happen. But they didn't like what they heard, which is understandable. And Peter pulls him aside, and it says that he reprimanded him, rebuked him. 
That's a strong way to talk to Jesus, to rebuke Jesus, to reprimand. That, that's not just like, hey, guys, I'm going to go. We're, I'm going to be killed. It's not just like shaking your head. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yesterday I was at a wedding and they were dancing. At one point, someone tried to get me to dance. This was my response. Right? You, you can, you can ah, I, don't, I don't like that idea. I don't like that plan. That's not what Peter was doing. He wasn't just sitting in the back of the disciples. No. He pulled Jesus aside and he reprimanded him. He, he rebuked him. He said, heaven forbid, that will never happen. Look how Jesus responds, verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. That, that is strong language. Anytime someone refers to you as Satan, that, that, that's a strong way to interact with someone. Amen. My wife has only called me Satan two or three times. In fact, that's the exact line that she used. Get away from me, <laughs> Satan. Say, I'm kidding. That, that's a, that's a, that, that is a strong way to come back. Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. Now, what is Jesus responding so strongly against? He's responding against the mindset, the philosophy that Peter is, is, is trying to influence his decision-making with. He's, he's responding strongly against no sacrifice, no suffering, no death. That when he recommends, suggests another mode, another way of doing things that involves no sacrifice, no suffering, no death, it causes Jesus to respond really almost out of character. That Peter, does, he doesn't want him to die. It's understandable. So Jesus, almost completely out of character, just to respond and call somebody Satan. Get away from me or get behind me, Satan. And why does he do that? He does it, one, because of what he understood it to be. He understood it to be a dangerous trap. He said, for you are a dangerous trap to me. That this idea was a dangerous trap. Some translations say a snare, a stumbling block, an obstacle. It would be preventative. Now, what does it mean when it was a snare or a trap? That if he was to say, okay, let's hear more about that. Uh, uh, Continue, Peter. Let me hear more about your ideas and your plan. If he would have gone with that way of thinking, it would be like stepping into a trap. And then when you are in a trap, you are trapped. If he was in a snare, it would be preventative. How? Once you are trapped, you're unable to go where you want to go. Now you are, now you are limited. Now you are prevented from proceeding. And if I'm trapped and I want to go over there, this trap is going to prevent me from going over there. And why did Jesus come? Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come that you might have life. That's why he came, that you would have life and that you could have life to its fullest extent, abundant, overwhelming, eternal life. Now, how was that life made available? That life was made available through his death and through his resurrection. So if he would have listened to Peter, he would have put himself in a trap that would have prevented him from doing the very thing that he came to do. The same thing is true for you and for me. If we buy into that same kind of mindset, that same kind of philosophy, just like it was a trap to Jesus, it's a trap for you and it's a trap for me. No suffering, no sacrifice, no death. If I begin to believe like that, I'll find myself trapped and unable to complete the mission God has for my life. My life will be unfruitful. I will be unsuccessful at doing what God has called me to do if I allow myself to get into that comfortable 
selfish way of thinking. It's, it's a trap. It's a snare. So Jesus understood what it was. No, 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 no. Get behind me, Satan. This is a dangerous, this is a dangerous trap. And who is it from? Who's it from? Get away from me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. Now, what did Peter suggest? Peter didn't say, hey, instead of going to Jerusalem, I've got a better idea. How about we worship the devil? He didn't say, let's go goat shopping and you know, start sacrificing goats and drawing pentagrams and stuff on ourselves. That, that, that's not what he said. He said, how about, how about you don't go and die? Get behind me, Satan. He understood where that thinking comes from. Satan will work in your life not to get you to think about him. He wants you to get to think about you. He wants you thinking about you. That's the way he works. Satanic thinking, according to the Bible, isn't you thinking about Satan. Satanic thinking is thinking about what is most comfortable, what is best for you at the expense of others. That's, that's the way the devil wants you to think. And if you start to study Satanism, which I am not recommending, but if you were to start reading the, the Satanic Bible and, and learning more about the philosophies and the tenets of, of that faith, a major emphasis isn't, isn't try to please Satan. A major emphasis is to please yourself. Do what you want to do. What feels good to you. It's, a, it's an indulgent, a self-indulgent, self-preservation, hedonistic, humanistic philosophy of life, that it's a religion about what do you want to do? Forget other people. What, what do you want? That's satanic, satanic thinking. And Jesus identifies the root of it. So what was the trap? What was the satanic thinking? Instead of sacrifice, let's do what's most comfortable. Instead of thinking about others, let's think about ourselves. It was about, it was about self. Now, if Jesus would have done that, if Jesus would have chosen life in the moment, if he would have chosen himself, life, what would it have resulted in? In our lives, it would have resulted in death. But because he chose death, what was the result? Life. Life. Now, let's look at these next few verses. Sometimes people will take this previous passage and focus on it, and there's tons you can focus on. Or you could look at these next few verses, and there's lots that we can pull from that. But it's important to see the flow that it's coming out of rebuking Satan that Jesus starts to, to say what he says next. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Isn't that interesting? That out of, out, coming out, he rebukes Satan, which this is like, this is a big moment, especially since he's referring to one of his disciples as Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And then he turns and he begins to teach on, he doesn't start teaching on how not to listen to Satan how not to do what Satan wants. He starts teaching on how not to listen to you and how not to do what you want. His message coming out of that is, guys, make sure you don't serve Satan. That's not what he said. His message coming out of it is, guys, make sure you don't serve you. And then he asks the question, if any of you wants to be my follower, because you don't have to. You don't have to follow Jesus. So he says, if you do, if you're interested, if you're serious, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, 
here, here, here's the necessary steps. He says to deny yourself, to deny you, take up your cross. So this whole going to the cross thing, that wasn't just for Jesus. He's an example. He's an example. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus was explaining the way to life. Now, why would you want to come after Jesus in the first place? Why, why do we follow Jesus? Life. That what, we're, what we're after is eternal life. We're after abundant life. Jesus, again, that's why he said that he came. I have come that you might have life. So it's not just embracing some re- religious form of, of misery. He's saying, if you want to come after me, if you want this uh, wonderful life that I have for you, how do I get there? Deny yourself, take up my cross, and follow after follow after Jesus, that that is the pathway that leads us, that leads us to life. So people can say that they've accepted Jesus. You know, it's more than just coming and saying a prayer in the front of a room. That's a significant moment, but people can go through the motions and not really mean it. You can say, you know, Jesus even said, there's going to be people that said, Lord, Lord, he's going to say, I I don't know who you are. So it's more than that. And that passage that we refer to from Romans chapter 10, that talks about believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth, then a person will be saved. That, that assumes honesty. It assumes honesty. It's not, it's not some little magical poem that we recite. It's when people are genuine. And when they say, Jesus, I'll make you Lord of my life, that they actually make Jesus Lord, which means I'm no longer Lord of my life. I've laid that down. I've sacrificed that. And the result of that death is life. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, be my follower. You want to be a follower of Jesus. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Now, when he says take up your cross, he's not referring to getting cross tattoos or wearing a cross necklace or cross earrings, although there's nothing wrong with any of that. He isn't talking about branding yourself as a Christian. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. When you see someone carrying a cross, or if you were to see someone carrying a cross, what would you think of that person? If you saw someone, you ever see someone carrying a cross down the road? You, you could think that person's nuts. There's something wrong with that person. That's one option and you may or may not be right. You might think, oh, they must be doing some kind of Christian demonstration. Uh, Maybe it's part of something they're doing with their church. Maybe it's some kind of drama that they're participating in. Maybe it's something to go along with, with Easter and the Passion Week. Or sometimes people will display their faith and say, I'm gonna carry the cross from one side of the state to the other. And you see them on the highway and you honk your horn. They got a little wheel on the bottom of the cross to make it, to make it easier. And they're, they're, if you saw someone carrying a cross, you would think one of those things. He's probably on his way back to the church where they're gonna have a potluck and celebrate and have a good time. And, and, and in Jesus' day, if you saw someone carrying a cross, your assumption wouldn't be he's probably on his way to a picnic. He's probably gonna go have a party. Oh, he must be doing something neat with his church family. In Jesus' day, when he says this, you gotta take up your cross. In Jesus' day, if someone took up a cross, you know what it meant? One thing, death, death. That, that, that man's being executed. That's a dead man walking. Once he's got that cross on, he's already out of control. He's going where the soldiers tell him to go. He's doing what, what he's told to do. And he's as good as dead when he's carrying the cross. So when Jesus says, you've gotta got deny you, and take up your cross. He's talking about just accepting the fact that you are now dead to yourself. And again, the point isn't death. The point is the point is life. Verse 25. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, 
you will save it. You will have life. If you try to, to hold on to your life, if you cling to it, what happens? You lose it. What, what, what do we mean when we say someone loses their life? That's death, right? That's another way that you talk about death. You say, oh, did you hear so-and-so lost their life? You, you would understand exactly what that person's referring to. Dead, death. If you try to hang on to your life, if you cling to it, the result is death. But if for the sake of Jesus, you lay down your life, if you are willing to lose, lose your life for him, what's the result? Then you find it. Then you receive that you receive life. That's the way things work in the kingdom of God. And that if I really want to know life, I, I can't just go through a few of the church motions. If I really want to be a follower of Jesus, there has to be death. That's what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, that I no longer live but Christ lives in me. It was one or the other. In order to get to that life of Jesus, that abundant life being lived through him, first he had to say, I no longer live. It was one life or the other. And to get to the other, one had to die. I no longer live. Death. Why? So there could be an even better life being lived and evidenced in me and through me. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen to this result. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God has a will for your life. God was preparing, dreaming, planning out the days of your life while you were still in your mother's womb. That's what the Bible says. He has a will for your life, and it's not just an average, okay will. That's kind of nice. He says it's good. It's pleasing. In fact, it's, it's absolutely perfect. If you knew his will for your life, you'd be like, oh, that, that, it, is, it is perfect. And he wants you to be able to test and approve. You approve it. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I like that. He said it's pleasing. And to test it means you experience it. It's not just something theoretical that we read about in the Bible. You can testify. You can give testimony, right? You, you are, you, you've experienced the goodness of his plan. Now, it's not just life, and it's not just the acquiring of things. It's not just pleasure and good experiences, because there's lots of people that are alive and have lots of things and have had lots of experiences, but they wouldn't say that their life is good. They wouldn't say that they're pleased with how things are going. They certainly wouldn't describe their life as perfect. But what, what this passage is telling us is that God's will for your life meets, meets all three of those. It's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. And he's telling you, telling me, how can I go about it? I want to test and approve. Man, when I read that passage, it stirs something up. I want that. I want God's will. I don't want to settle for anything less than God's will in my life. And so I want to pay attention. How do I get there? He's describing a place, and then he says, okay, if you want to get there, here, here are the instructions. Here's the directions. So he talks about renewing our minds. That's important. We need to renew our minds and be transformed. But that's not the only part of the instruction, and it's not the first part of the instruction. The first part is what? to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. People can help renew your mind. That's what we're trying to do right now. Feed the word, wash you with the word. You can help renew your mind. You have to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. To offer ourselves as living 
living sacrifice. And a sacrifice, when you sacrifice something, it's very different than losing something or, or having something be taken from you. Have you, ever, have you ever lost something? Have you ever had anything stolen from you? One time at a water park, I had a pair of sneakers, brand new sneakers, just bought them. They were stolen from me. That, that was different than a sacrifice, right? And it's, it's an important distinction. If you lose something, you have something stolen from you, that's different than laying something down as a sacrifice. Jesus made a point to make the distinction between the two in John chapter 10. He said, no, no one takes my life from me, right? No, no, one, no one's taking my life. I'm, I'll willingly lay it down. What, what's the point? You're, you're losing your life either way. What's the matter? They take it from you, you lay it down. It mattered. It wasn't just being snatched away from him. It mattered that the way, the way he was losing it was he was willingly laying it down as a sacrifice. And there are things in this life, you're going to lose them either way. You, your life will come to an end either way. How? How? Will it be snatched away or will it be a living sacrifice? You're going to lose stuff either way. You get, you get the opportunity to decide. Ma Matthew chapter 16, even in that verse, a life was being lost either way. If you cling to your life, you lose it. But if you lose it for the sake of, of the kingdom, you gain it. Either way, a life is being lost. One, it's being taken. One, it's just being wasted. The other, it's being sacrificed. It's being sown. And in Ro Romans chapter 12 that we just read, it says when it's a sacrifice, it's worship. It's worship. You're, you're going to lose things either way. How? You're going to lose your life either way. How will you lose it? How will you lose it? Years ago, there was a young lady in our youth ministry, started coming to youth, started falling in love with Jesus, serving the Lord with all of her heart, got, got involved, became like, a, like a, core, a core kid in the youth group. Graduated from high school, wanted to go into ministry, wanted to go to Bible school, just, just loved the Lord. But we didn't have Center Branch School of Ministry at that time. The only Bible schools were, were out of the state, far away. And so she wanted to go to one of these, these Bible schools. But her parents didn't want her to go, her, her mom especially. Said, there, there's no way. I can't lose my little girl. I, I want her to be safe. I want her to be close. I, I just can't imagine her going far away like that. We met a couple times, tried to explain to her mom and tried to help her mom uh, come to grips with it. You, you're better off letting your daughter go. She wants to serve the Lord. She, she wants to be in ministry. She needs to go to Bible school. Had all those conversations. But when it came time to go to school, her, her mother forbid her to go far away, insisted she stay close. No, you got to stay close. I just, I can't. Man, I can't lose you going far away like that. So she went to a local college close by. It was sometime during the first semester, probably two months in, that her mom called me and asked if we could meet. And so we sat down to meet and her, her mother's crying and says, I don't know what's going on. She, she's not the same anymore. She, she's drinking. She's hanging out with people she shouldn't hang out with. I think she's in some unhealthy relationships, the people she's staying with and spending, spending time with. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my little girl. She even asked me if I, if I could call her and try to talk her into dropping out of that school and going to the school that she'd originally wanted to go to. And I, and I tried, but at that point, it, it, it was too late. That fire that she had inside, she, she'd lost that. Last I knew, she graduated from, from college, been married and divorced once. And I, as far as I know, she's, she's still not serving the Lord. But what her mom said to me was, I, I'm losing my little girl. 
I'm, I'm losing her. I'm, I'm losing my daughter. She's just not the same anymore. Well, the very thing she was trying to cling to, her preventative methods, the way she was trying to cling to it actually caused her to lose, to lose the very thing that she was trying to hold on to. This is a kingdom principle. It's repeated all through the gospels. Matthew chapter 10, same gospel earlier on. Matthew 10, 39, Jesus said, he who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. This is one of the most repeated things as you read through the Gospels. Either way, you're going to lose things. Either it's going to be a complete waste, it's going to be squandered, or you've been entrusted with something that you can lay down as a sacrifice or sow it as a seed. People make this mistake in so many different areas of their lives, things that God wants them to enjoy, God wants them to be blessed with, but they'll cling to it, and in their effort to cling to it, they end up losing the very thing that they're, they're clinging to. They'll prioritize things things of this world, prioritize money, prioritize uh, secular pursuits and, and, and work and those kinds of things. There'll be people that, that in their attempt to preserve family life, I want time with my family. Man, family's important. You, we just did a whole series on family. God wants you to have a blessed family. But in their attempt to protect family, let's say, you know what, because we want to protect family life, we'll scale back on our involvement in the things of God. We'll We'll cut back on how committed we are to church and those kinds of things and end up, end up squandering the very thing that God wants them to enjoy by their own efforts to cling to it. Financially, people think that they're preserving, protecting their finances by refusing to honor God in their tithe and their offering. And they end up missing out on the blessing that they, he wanted to give them because they won't use the seed or lay it down as, as a sacrifice. It's that same thing. It's that, that finger trap mentality that the way you get what you want is actually the opposite of how your mind and culture will tell you to pursue it. That if you want, if you want more, you don't cling to it, you lay it down. I, I want life. I want life to its full extent. I want abundant life. And if I'm smart, I'll listen to what Jesus said instead of clinging to it for all I'm worth, I'll lay it down and let it be a sacrifice to the Lord. And if I do that, and if he's really faithful and means what he says, then I'm going to receive my life. I'm going to receive abundant life, more full, more fruitful, more enjoyable than anything I could muster up on my own. That is a principle in the kingdom. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. I'm just assuming that some of you adults crying because you don't like this idea of dying yourself. <laughs> John chapter 12, starting in verse 24, it says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it, those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. I'm telling you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new, of new life. Jesus is talking ultimately about himself and how he's going to die and be put in the ground, which is interesting that that's what we do with dead people. We plant them, we bury them. And he compares it to a kernel of wheat or a seed being put, being put in the ground. Really, the, 
the principle or the law of sowing and reaping summarizes this whole idea that to live, life comes from death. If, uh, if you keep a seed by itself, you've squandered its potential. But if you're willing to release it, to plant it, to sow it, to sacrifice it, what happens? The, uh, a whole new wave of life is produced. Let me read it one more time. It says, if it is planted in the soil and dies, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new life. What releases that? What releases a plentiful harvest of new life? Death. Death, death and sacrifice release power in the kingdom of God. Death is what releases life in the kingdom of God. And so many people in the kingdom, so many people in the body of Christ, so many churches are powerless because they're also failing to make sacrifices. That when we cling to our life, what we're also doing is refusing to be powerful in the things of the kingdom. Sacrifice releases power. And we can apply it to different areas. Fasting. Fasting is powerful. And one of the reasons that fasting is powerful is because there's sacrifice involved. That you're sacrificing meals. You're sacrificing comfort. You're sacrificing enjoyment. You're sacrificing what, what you'd like to taste and all those kinds of things. That sa sacrifice releases power. It's the same with serving. It's the same with giving. Sacrifice releases power in the kingdom of God. And in this series, one of the things I want to challenge you on is in the area of giving. I want to challenge you when it comes to giving because giving is, we need to be willing to die in every area, but where your treasure is, your heart is as well. And there should be times in our life, we should always be available for God to speak to our hearts and be willing to give. It should be all the time. But there should also be times where we, we come before the Lord and say, God, is there anything you would have me give? God, is there anything, is there anything you would have me to change in my giving? There should be, there should be times like that. And we've kind of gotten into a cycle as a church family this time of year, coming into the fall, getting ready to close out a year, getting ready to start a brand new year, that we take time to ask those kinds of questions. Father, is there anything you want from me? Is there any sacrifice that would be pleasing to bring? And again, we always want to be yielded to the Lord, always available for him to speak to our hearts to give. But there should be moments like that. My, my wife that I wanna, I wanna be pleasing to her all the time. There's some place she wants to go, something she'd like to have, something she wants to do. She can, she can tell me, but there's also a few times a year, her birthday, Christmas, anniversary, times like that that are carved out, set aside for me to go to her and say, hey, is there anything, anything you'd like to do? Anything special we could do? Anything you'd like? And so as we go through this series, that's one of the areas that I'm, I'm going to challenge you on and when something, when something is resistant to that challenge, I want you to pay attention to it. If when I said, hey, during this series, I'm gonna challenge you in the area of giving, and you just felt it, like, doggone it, I was afraid we were heading this direction. Oh, I hate it when he does this. I don't like that. That's fine. I just genuinely, I just want you to, to, to examine where is that coming from, and why did that irritate me so much? Why don't I like that? Why? Because all, all I'm asking is just, would you ask the Lord, hey, God, is there anything, Father, is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything you have that would be pleasing if I sacrificed it? And just listen for him to, to speak to you and be willing to obey. That, that, that's all I'm suggesting. But when it irritates you, I want you 
please, to pay attention to that because it's, it's significant. The things that prevent you from sacrifice are also preventing you from power. The things that prevent you from sacrificing are preventing you from yielding a harvest. The things that prevent you from sacrifice, that mindset, that attitude, that, that emotion, whatever it is, that love for the thing that God put his finger on, you refuse to, to release it. The things that prevent you from sacrifice, that's okay, you, you don't have to sacrifice, but also know it's preventing you from power. It's a snare, it's a trap. It's preventing you from progress. When you get yourself in a trap, you're not gonna be able to make progress. We're gonna wrap this up as we're kind of starting this series this morning. And the way I wanna wrap it up is, is just to, to look at three different characters in the Bible that were anti-sacrifice. That's why, that's why I said to pay attention to it. What, what is it that says, no way, I'm not giving, I don't like this, I don't like this topic. So you can see a theme of characters in the Bible that were strongly anti-sacrifice. So the, the first one, first one we'll talk about is in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel. The worship team can go ahead and slide back up here. In sacrifice, there is a release of power. And so one of the reasons the enemy works against sacrifice is because if, he, if, if it's true that sacrifice releases power, if he can keep you from sacrificing, he just kept you weak as well. Hebrews chapter 2.14 that I referred to earlier said, says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only by what could he break that power? There's only by one thing would there be a release of power significant enough to destroy the devil, and it was through death. In that death was a release of of power. And so the enemy works in the life of believers all the time to try to prevent sacrifice and death from, from occurring. So the first character is in the book of Daniel. If you read the book of Daniel, the first half of Daniel is filled with great stories that children enjoy. The second half of Daniel is filled with crazy prophecies that will give your children nightmares. Amen. But in the second half of Daniel, there's, there's prophecies about kingdoms and things that are going to happen in the future, the rise and fall of kingdoms, things that, that will happen in the nation of Israel. And in some of those prophecies, it talks about somebody coming, a ruler that would rise to power, that would conquer Jerusalem, that would take over the, the temple of God, and that there would be something called the abomination that causes desolation, that that would happen. And there's been a, a fulfillment of that in part and a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. We've talked about him before. And he rose to power. He added Epiphanes onto his name. It means God manifest, that he thought he was Zeus come down in the flesh. He was arrogant. He was proud. He was evil. He conquered Jerusalem. He took over the temple, just, just like Daniel prophesied. And he, you know what he did? The abomination that causes desolation. He renamed the temple after himself or after, after Zeus. And it says three times in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter eight, Daniel chapter nine, actually four times, and 11 and 12 as well. The abomination that causes desolation would stop the daily sacrifices. This wasn't just about a guy 
thousands of years ago is also prophetic in what's, what's coming. Jesus warned about the abomination that causes desolation. It's also a type of the Antichrist. He was a type of the Antichrist, and one of the things it said that he would do, and it mentions it four separate times, he would stop the sacrifices. You would think of sacrificing to the Lord was something that was a burden to God's people and was just for difficulty, that he would do the opposite, that he would double the sacrifices. That's all we're gonna do is sacrifice. But this type of Antichrist, that Antichrist spirit came against God's people and said, you know what we're gonna do? We're going to stop no more sacrificing to the Lord. Why? Because when there's a sacrifice, there's a release of power. When there's a sacrifice, there's a, there's a release of life. The second one, second one, if you still have your Bibles open, John chapter 12, starting in verse 1, same chapter earlier on. John chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served as Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. The first one is a type of the Antichrist or the Antichrist who stopped the sacrifices. The second character that we see that is anti-sacrifice is Judas Iscariot, the one that would betray Jesus, that he wasn't pleased. It upset him when someone brought an offering, something extravagant to bless the Lord. And I, I believe that it wasn't just Judas operating in his own mind. If we look at John chapter 13, verse two, it says, and supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. So early in the next, next chapter, it tells us that the devil was already working in Judas' life. And I believe that was a manifestation of the devil saying, I, I don't want offerings. I don't want sacrifice. Please put an end to this, that he would lash out, revile against somebody bringing an offering to the Lord. The third character in the Bible we've already looked at is Peter. When Peter said, no sacrifice, no suffering, no death. And how did Jesus respond? Satan, get away from me. That you can see it's a satanic mindset that wants to keep people from sacrificing keep people from giving towards the work of the Lord, towards the ministry. Why? Because it releases power. That, that When he stopped the daily sacrifices, what was it called? What was it called when they stopped the daily sacrifices? The abomination that caused something. There was a cause to that abomination. The abomination that causes desolation. Where there's desolation in your life, you can know something. That there, there was a stopping of the sacrifices. That you began to be well, like what Peter suggested. No death, no suffering, no sacrifice. If you buy into that philosophy, what you can expect is desolation. And this applies to every area of your life. We just talked about marriage and family for a month. If there is a desolate marriage, you know what can what, what you can assume has been the case in that marriage? That someone has become selfish. Someone has been unwilling to sacrifice. Someone has been unwilling to consider the other person. They've insisted on themselves. And what that causes when there's a lack of sacrifice, it produces desolation. The abomination that causes desolation, that's what some people are experiencing in their lives. They become desolate because they've stopped the sacrifices. That's what the devil wants in your life. That's what was operating in Judas. He didn't really care when he said no sacrifice, no sacrifice.
suffering. Let's stop, don't, don't bring these offerings. Well, he didn't care about that. It says he was a thief. The motive, he was a thief. The enemy is a thief and he wants to rob you of the blessing of God. He's not trying to preserve you. When the enemy tries you to get you not to sacrifice, not to lay down your life, he doesn't have your best interest at heart. He's a thief and he wants to rob you of the blessing of God that God wants to come flooding in. But the way that it happens is you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. If you want to live, if you want to experience abundant life, if you want to have a life that is significant and impactful and fruitful, the only way to do it is to embrace being a living sacrifice. You're going to lose your life one way or another. You're going to lose that money one way or another. You're going to lose those things one way or another. Either squander them, have them be stolen, or plant them as seeds and trust God with them and watch a harvest return in its place. It's one way or the other. And if you are wise, if we're wise as a church, instead of clinging to ourselves, being selfish, ingrown followers of Jesus, which really aren't followers of Jesus, instead we'll lay down our lives a bunch of living sacrifices, pleasing to the Lord, pleasing, pleasing to the Lord. A sacrifice, a sacrifice releases power. It releases life. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.